Okay, everybody, welcome to the show. Alex Princeton, how's it going this week, man? Doing good. Uh, like we were just discussing, a little uh, chunk out of my pocketbook shelled out for a new Mac. Mm-hmm. Are you already you already shelled out? Yes. And how much? Uh, what what model? Uh, I think it's a M1 14 inch Pro. Is that possible? Okay. Yeah. I mean, they have M. They have like M2s and M3s out. It'd, I'd be kind of surprised if you got like an M1. Okay, did, uh, uh, can we restart the podcast because I've just revealed my ignorance on Mac chipsets? <laughs> no, it's it's okay. I mean, I'm just surprised that like the option was there on their website. Um, so, but I mean, it it basically doesn't matter though. Um, all the all the Apple Silicon chips are um, infinitely better than the uh, Intel uh, Max from just a couple years ago. Um, it's it's pretty sweet. I'm on a M1 iMac right now, and I really like it. Um, Gideon, how's it going this week, man? Last M- iMac ever produced? No, no this is a, I'm on a um, M1 iMac. Um, I got it like I got them right when they came out, like two or three years ago. No, um, I just, just, isn't that market shrinking for like the Apple desktop? Yeah, I don't know. I just like the iMac because it's like I like the big display, and I only ever use it in the same place. Like I don't ever do computer shit away from my desk, really. Um, and I've got like my work computer at the actual office and I don't really like, like I just use my iPhone for everything else, I suppose. So I don't really ever like need to, um, you know, go portable with it for any reason. So the iMac is a little bit like cheap. You get, you get a little bit more bang for your buck in the iMac form factor. How do you get that thing into the bathroom for private time? (laughs) (laughs) Well, that'll, that'll be between me and my iMac, uh, Alex. Um, so what did you, you say, Neil? And the MSA. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, Gideon, how's it going this week, man? It's going good. Um, I've just been binging Archer, just watching that from the beginning. I'm on like season seven now, I think halfway through it. Really liking mm-hmm. that. And is that new to you or first? Um, I I'd seen like a few episodes like here or there. And I was a big fan of their previous show they did called uh, Frisky Dingo. It's like similar animation style. Um, and they even have like some callback jokes in Archer I've found from that reference that show. So I've, I've been having a blast watching that. And then also, um, I wanted to save it for the show, but I got in from the library uh, Bayonetta 2 on Switch. And I'm on Chapter 8 now. So, oh, dude. Uh, okay. Yeah. So you 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 saw the opening sequence with the jet planes, right? Yeah. So wasn't, awesome. wasn't isn't that the greatest opening sequence like ever? Dude, the the whole opening was so awesome. Yeah. Like I'm I'm having a blast. That that's like all I've done is watch Archer and play Bayonetta two. So yeah, Bayonetta two I think is is not my favorite platinum game, but it is the best platinum game. And how are you? Would you agree so far? Um, I don't know if it's the best, but man, if you liked and wanted more Bayonetta one at all, it's like it feels like such a love letter to that character and everything, and yeah. it has such a a charm, and it's almost like really really campy, but in such a lovable way that nothing else has, like nothing else can touch it in that regard. So yeah, I'm, I'm having a blast with this. It. Yeah, I'm I'm so glad you're finally playing it. I I really do believe like everybody looks back at 2014 as being like one of the worst years in gaming history. 
but Bayonetta 2 came out that year, and I think it's like easily the best game that came out that year. I, I just think yeah. it's like such a masterpiece. And um, That's awesome. yeah, I'm so glad that you're finally playing that. And, and thank God Nintendo stepped in and saved that game from um, development hell and made sure that it mm-hmm. came out and it came out good and they got all the extra time they needed. You know, good for them. Yeah. Um, okay. So I'm fo- I'm going to follow up with you after the yeah. after the pod, and we're going to talk shop on Bayonetta. Um, yeah, no worries. Neil, Neil, how's it going? Uh, you know, it's been a little bit of a weak person. Yeah. All things will pass. Yeah. <laughs> when I was uh, when I was in China on the uh, high school on our like high school educational tour, um, there was there was a kid who went with us, which who was like. I, I don't I don't say this to be mean. I actually feel very sympathetic for him in this situation. One of the kids that went with us to China had like low grade Aspergers or like so, something was something was wrong with this kid, right? Like, and and his parents just had him in normal school, and it ended up with being this like horrible bullying situation, and everybody was like super mean to him all the time. Anyway, so he ended up going on the the China trip with all of us. And and I I caught him like writing in a journal on a bus between like two of the cities, being like, "This too shall pass." <laughs> yeah, like his, God damn. Yeah, his parents had spent all this money to send him halfway across the world, and he was just like, really wanted to play his 3ds and like get back to his hotel room. <laughs> damn. <laughs> yeah. Damn, that sounds like you though. Hey, listen, <laughs> listen, you know. <laughs> I was I had a good time in China. Um, Same. Gideon, you've been to you were on that trip, but you've been. To I China. wasn't on that trip, but I did go on my own trip to China, mm-hmm. and I was there for about a month. So what cities did you go to? Uh, Beijing, Shanghai, uh, and majority Huangzhou. Yeah, like okay. three weeks in Huangzhou. Mm-hmm. Damn. Yeah, and that was, was that was like is 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 that the little. The little village that we went to on our trip. Uh, I'm not sure. I don't. I don't okay. know exactly where you guys went. It, it's the one with the 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 really vertical hills and mountains that have the really rounded tops on them off in the distance. Mm-hmm. Okay, sure. maybe. Okay, uh, maybe we'll have to we'll have to compare notes on this. But yeah, yeah, I, yeah. yeah, it was cool. Well, in your in, on your trip, did Beijing smell the high heaven like it did on my trip? Dude, a lot of places were real stinky. Yeah. 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 And uh, when we went to the Great Wall, it was like the hottest day of my life with like, yeah. it felt like 125% humidity and it was like 90, yeah. you know, 99 out or something. Yeah, it was, it was fucking brutal. Um, that, was the, that was the first thing we did that morning. <laughs> when when I went, Zach Kinnar was with me. I don't remember. I don't know if you remember Zach Kinnar that much. Um, oh yeah. When when me and him were walking on the Great Wall, he was wearing like an Iowa Hawkeyes headband and mm-hmm. American flag pants, like sweatpants. <laughs> it was like so we we looked so obviously outwardly American to everybody yeah. that was that was there. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, it was pretty cool. Um. Anyway, we are here. Uh, speaking of trips to China, we are here this week <laughs> to talk about. Um, the 2006 Ron Howard movie, uh, Frost Nixon. Um, this is obviously about the interviews that went down between David Frost and um, Richard Nixon in the aftermath of the Watergate scandal, probably three or four years, I think, after um, Nixon had already resigned the presidency. Um, something I did not know about this movie is this was originally a stage play. This was written for the stage. 
Um, and the stage play starred the cast of this movie. So Frank Langella and Michael Sheehan were um, Frost, you know, Nixon and Frost, respectively. Um, and then they decided to adapt it for the screen. They had the original screenwriter. Um, you know, Ron Howard's a great director, and so they they put it together. I, I first saw this movie around when it, not when it came out, but when it came out to the video. Um, my parents rented it for whatever reason from Blockbuster. This might have been my awakening to listening to movie critics in terms of saying this is good and this is, you know, whatever. Because I don't think I had ever been interested before seeing Frost Nixon in, like, reading movie reviews or paying attention to, like, who was going to win at the Academy Awards or anything. And then I watched this and I was like, oh, shit, there's like, this is like a whole nother level of a great movie. Um, so this was like, this isn't, uh, it, this is not just one of my favorite films, but this is like one of the most important movies in my life in terms of like waking me up to movies that could be more than just, you know, like whatever the Star Wars prequels were, or you know, other, other movies that, that were out around that I saw in like late middle school, or early high school, kind of that really developmental age. Um, so had you guys heard about this movie before? Um, what, what is your guys experience with it? Gideon, go ahead. Yeah, I'd never heard about this, um, at all until you talked about it. Um, never saw a trailer or anything, went in totally blind. Um, even with like Nixon himself, I only really <laughs> know about him mainly from Futurama. So, <laughs> right. so I don't have that much, uh, history with the subject, um, matter and everything like that. I mean, uh, Richard Nixon in high school, and I remembered some of that, uh, specifically centering on the Watergate scandal. That's everything that sticks out. Deep throat, haha, you know. Yeah. Very uh, I had only heard of this movie once, and it was very, very recently on a rival movie podcast. So mm. they were discussing, yeah. I believe, good movies. Hmm. Yeah, well, this would certainly fit the bill. Uh, Neil, uh, go ahead and give us your uh, your history about knowing with this movie, and then go ahead and give us your finest uh, Richard Nixon impression, since I, I know that you're absolutely dying to do that. Um, yeah, I remember seeing a trailer for this probably close to when it came out. So, you know, to kill two birds with one stone. Like, I, I didn't remember what, I didn't really know what it was about. Eventually, Heard about the uh, Ross Nixon interview, uh, probably in college, but uh, a line that has just been stuck in the back of my head was, "I didn't want anybody to discriminate." <laughs> yeah, thank you for that. Can we have the uh, free beer line, please? <laughs> How's everybody enjoying their free beer? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, clearly, clearly, Richard Nixon and uh, Boss Nass are the same person. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they both have they both have a lot of gel movements. Well, um, so I'll give you the brief synopsis on this movie. So basically, um, Watergate's already happened, and David Frost is getting angsty about the fact that he's doing low rent. Um, Australian television. He like had success in America at, on a previous show, but then it didn't syndicate well. You know, he goes back to the UK. Things aren't going well. He kind of like has this 
Australian show that's like whatever he's like doing this escape artist shit. He's doing like real lowbrow shit. And he's kind of like down on his luck, and then has the idea to like, what if we could do a political interview with Richard Nixon? Um, and a, a fair amount of the early stages of the movie are about like getting the funding and getting the actual like um, process of of it all together. And and um, I was really interested in the whole part where like CBS or NBC wouldn't finance it because they don't they don't want to do like checkbook journalism and they don't want to um, be paying for political interviews and things like that. Hadn't considered that angle at all. Um, so they basically had to finance the whole thing themselves and all the sponsors were dropping out. Um, and then he kind of assemble uh, Frost kind of assembles a crack research team of angry East Coast liberals and uh, TV producer and then like his his UK producer um, to all, you know, study up to go to battle against Nixon. And then Nixon has his whole um, kind of group of in insular guys. And then they just do these interviews. And it's like it's like a great boxing movie. I mean, people have, I mean, it seems silly to say that they have, they have all their people in their corner that are like hyping them up and everything. And then they just go round after round with each other. But this, this movie is really presented like a boxing movie. So you get to the final interviews and then uh, Frost is just hopelessly outclassed by Nixon. Like he doesn't really grasp how smart even a U.S. president who's looked at as, as being a failure in some ways, um, I don't think he has a grasp on how much of a killer you have to be to get into that position in the first place and just gets the shit kicked out of him by Nixon in those first couple of interviews. And then things get better and better and better for him as, as time goes on. Um, um, I, th I think though, that this is like one of the, if, if not the strongest movie that is like primarily based on dialogue for me, it's right up there um, with 12 angry men and a, a couple of others. I'm, I'm curious to see, kind of what, what you guys think, like your overall thoughts on the quality and on the, the plot and things like that. Yeah, I can start. Um, yeah, I, I really liked it. Um, I had a lot of fun with it. I was totally engaged the whole time. I thought the casting and everybody on the movie was really good. Um, I thought I, I re really wanted to give props to the pacing I felt like it had really good pacing. It didn't feel like there was any filler. Um, didn't feel like there was anything where it's like, okay, come on, like get to the next beat or whatever. Uh, I just thought they did a really good job. And for me, you know, I didn't really know much of anything about Nixon going into it. I still felt like I was able to be, you know, really entertained and and kept on the up and up with what was going on as the movie was progressing and everything. So I thought it was just really well done. Person, let's hear from you. Sure. Uh, I probably come at this out of this a little more lukewarm. Um, I, I, I didn't find too much of the getting ready for the interview stuff. Very interesting, but I will say it didn't take up so much time that I got like really bored. Uh, probably the most interesting character in the movie is Nixon himself. Yeah. He gets a good deal of screen time, but I would just say my main criticism is like Frost is kind of flat and uninterested to me, sort of a nobody of history and doesn't do anything super interesting until, you know, basically that last interview. Mm -hmm. 
Um, yeah, and I just thought like, you know, I, I found the whole thing compelling as like a retelling of the story. Uh, and I found that, you know, the story they're telling is pretty interesting. Just, just like, I, I don't know, am I supposed to be like rooting for David Frost? Probably. Right. Well, I think, I think you're supposed to be, but I think the thing that the movie does spectacularly well is gives you insight into Nixon's psychological profile and his personality and what drives him. Here's where I'm at. Like, you know, they have this one character who's like indignantly upset with Nixon and they almost paint him as a bit of a nerd, you know. Um, He's one of the writers or investigators on on Frost's team. And and I get that guy's motivation. I, I, I guess like Frost's motivation is muddled throughout the whole thing for me. I think he's kind of just in it for the money and to break back into American television. But then he's also kind of going after Nixon, maybe just because he has to. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that that's a fair assessment. I think you're completely correct that Frost ends up being one of the least interesting characters in the entire movie. There are several side characters, actually, that I would put above Frost in terms of their general interest. I think Kevin Bacon's character in this movie is awesome. That's a um, military advisor yes. to Nixon? Yes. Um, yeah, actually, I'll just mention it briefly. Like, I, I, we'll talk about favorite scenes later. But the scene that always makes me laugh in this movie is um, during the first interview. Um, Ross comes at Nixon with what he thinks is going to be a gotcha question, and Nixon gives them this long, rambling answer that makes him look super presidential and just completely. Like Neo dodges the question, and then it cuts back to Kevin Bacon standing in the other room, and he was like, "That was beautiful." Like he was just like so in the in the pocket for Nixon. Like I I just love that character, and the scene at the end, I think, which is my favorite scene, um, where Nixon's about to break on camera, and Kevin Bacon pulls pulls him into another room, and he's like, "If we're gonna have an emotional moment here live on television, we need to." think it through and 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 have a moment right like there's just so much about that scene that that is just like so incredible um another character that i think is really excellent to your point is sam rockwell's character who plays the um the the guy who really doesn't like nixon um yeah. he uh he was also the other only other movie we've done on the podcast that has sam rockwell in it was seven psychopaths mm-hmm. does anybody know Aside from Neil, who I think I told last night, um, what other movie we've watched with Michael Sheehan in it? Is that the guy who played Dixon? Uh, no, is the guy who played Frost. Oh gosh, I don't know. Uh, he did, did look really familiar to me. He is the really pretentious um, friend in Midnight in Paris. Okay. He's like Paul, the guy that's uh, teaching at the university and has like an affair with Inez, like really late. Oh, in the movie. yeah, yeah, yeah. He yeah. has like a beard. He, I mean, he looks so different than he does in this movie, but it's the it's the same guy. So, um, but Neil, Neil, I'd be curious to hear your overall thoughts on the uh, on the movie. Yeah, well, overall, I think it's a really strong showing. Um, two things that kind of stand out to me are number one, like. Uh, as much as I love Sam Rockwell, um, like Kevin Bacon is probably the biggest name in this movie, as far as I can tell. 
um, like not to diminish anybody else's performance, but like you know, he he's probably the only like really like A list actor in the movie. Mm-hmm. You know, he's relegated to a secondary role, which is interesting. Like I recognize a lot of people in this movie, so I, I've seen Michael Sheen in like I think he was in Doctor Who at some point. Uh, Sam Rockwell we've talked about it. Um, Matthew McFadden's been in like a bunch of like uh, masterpiece theater stuff that I've seen with my mom. I recognize Toby Jones and uh, you know gotta get to see Rebecca Hall is a total smoke show. Um, oh yeah, she's so hot in this movie. Anyway, but um, it, it it is like. I, I don't know exactly how like the actor celebrity rating list goes, but like you know, th- this cast is like kind of like star power, like B tier in a lot of ways. But they they pull off a great performance. I can't think of any bad ones in there. But um, one comparison that really stood out to me from watching this as a callback to other films we've seen was the History Boys. So both of these are adaptations from the stage play. And in my mind, there's sort of like three ways that you can do that. Um, the first is just basically you know, like you set up a camera in the theater, and maybe you add some like special effects later. But it is just a stage play with a, a camera. Um, and then there's one, that's, and then there's sort of like the middle ground that the History Boys does, where it's like a movie, but they have like parts and like ways of like delivering dialogue for still like stage performance and i think there is a distinction between performing on stage and performing on camera mm-hmm. and then this one is like a total conversion to me like i can't yeah. think like they, they, they do things with it that i don't think you could possibly do on stage like the personal interviews and stuff yeah like, yeah, the personal interviews, they do a little bit of Forrest Gumping, too, where they, I, I, I mean, they don't insert people into old footage, but they got out the old cameras, filmed the actors in historical situations, and then put that back in the movie. Like, you can see sometimes, like, off to the screen, something's happening on TV, and it's not real David Frost, it's Michael Sheehan on, like, a fake broadcast version. So, yeah, sorry to interrupt, but. Yeah, it's just, like, like it's almost like why why base it on the play almost like it's just like unrecognizable on some level. Yeah, I just think that like the core dialogue and the core conceit of like setting up these two characters as a rivalry, and I think the thing that I really appreciated about this movie this time that I had not anticipated or I had not appreciated as much when I saw it as a teenager was how well it dives into Nixon's psychological profile. So something I kind of want to set up um, that I really appreciated about about it this time was um, Nixon sees... Okay, so just for historical context, you guys already know this, but just to say it out loud, for historical context, Nixon lost the presidential election in 1960 to John F. Kennedy largely because he was not good on television, right? It was the first presidential election where there was like televised debates and everything. And Nixon was, ob- or uh, Kennedy was obviously going to be a lot better on TV. Um, 
Nixon sees Frost as a John F. Kennedy-like figure in his life and a chance to get a rematch at that same sort of battle, even after being disgraced as the president. He 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 makes the comparison of Frost to Nixon uh, to um, Kennedy several times in the movie, and I didn't know this, but Nixon was not well-bred i mean like his he grew up in like a super poor family like a bunch of his brothers died from tuberculosis you know i think he, he i don't know what school he went to but he ended up like he ended up being vice president like six years after he was out of the navy i mean like nixon is a crazy story in terms of like working yourself up from basically nothing and with with no um gift of charisma or charm or like for other human beings he just i hate to use this term but he just fucking raw dogged his way up to the very top of society and i really there's something about that character and the man nixon that i came to actually appreciate a lot more from watching this movie i'm curious to see if you guys had any sort of similar reaction so do you think the movie almost like humanizes Nixon? Yeah, I, t- I think it totally does. Which, I, I don't know, I question this, like, the whole angle of the film is that Frost is sort of out to get Nixon. Not personally, but for his game. And their motivation is to, like, catch him and, and you know, and, and um, that it'll be good TV. I don't know if this really answers your question, but I wonder if like the real interviews were that adversarial. I almost have to watch them. I, I did a little digging into the background for it. And uh, well, like I think that uh, like Sam Brockwell and uh, Oliver Platt's characters are real and they were, there was that like adversarial quality. Um, like the, like, Nixon also knew what he was getting into on some level, and uh, I, I think he got, like, 20% of the residuals, like, on top of his, like, appearance. $600,000, which is yeah. crazy for whatever many hours. Yeah, I, th- I think... Sorry, go ahead. I, I was just going to say, we Alex and I did the... plug that into a inflation calculator, and that came, comes out to, like, three and a half mil in today's money. For 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 essentially like four hours of TV or something, right? Something like that. Yeah, I I think like some of the best Nixon moments in this are like right before the interviews, where Nixon just inserts like some absurd question immediately before. Like he kind of plays dumb early on, and then yeah. you're like, oh my god, he is playing chess. Yeah. I, I'm trying to remember. Did you do any fornicating? Did you do any fornicating last night? Can I get that in Neil's Nixon impression? No, I'm not. I'm not going forward until I get that. I'm sorry. It's just... Did you do any fornication last night? That's funny. Yeah, or when he says, um, "Are those those Italian shoes? You don't find them too feminine, or something, you know, something like that." He's like always playing 4D you know, trans-dimensional hungry, hungry hippos with, uh, with Frost. And like, I don't know, it just, you, sometimes I think we like look back on a presidency and we think of it as being like very defined by one thing. I mean, and that is so especially the case with Nixon, 
right? And we think of him as just a guy like this bumbling oaf who got caught in Watergate or he got caught up in this thing. By the way, I didn't know this before I watched this movie and then did, did the research on it. Nixon did not, like, he was not the mastermind behind, like, Watergate in terms of, like, he didn't tell those guys to go break into that hotel. It's like, they did that, like, on their own, and then he was involved in covering it up. But mm -hmm. he did not give the original instructions to, like, go break into the hotel and spy on the Democratic National Convention. Mm -hmm. I did not know that at all. I He just just covered it up and then the as the room closed in on him he was just like fuck this and threw down a smoke bomb and blew off and we never saw him again except for these uh these interviews but i don't know if the that characterization is like the popular one that people think nixon was dumb i think it's more at least immediately post watergate he's always been painted as a criminal more more akin to like a a mafia boss than a Idiot, yeah, you know? I, I yeah I, I suppose like I I think I think you're right on that, um, but I just I came to, like yeah, you're right I think you come into the movie and you expect it to be like a gotcha kind of movie where it's like here's the boogeyman and we're gonna get this crack research team together and we're gonna nail him and then we're gonna have our big heroic moment and by the end of the movie I was almost more sympathetic for the guy which I think was the intention of the director to at least like, you know, maybe not absolve him, but to paint him in a more well-rounded kind of broader psychological way where you, you go like this dude did some bad shit, but you can kind of, you kind of feel bad for the guy, like just bought his way up from nothing and then got to the top and then got too paranoid that somebody was going to take it away from him. And then his paranoia ended up being his, downfall i mean it it painted nixon as almost a more tragic figure than i would have otherwise thought and i think it is i don't want to say brave but no i guess i would i would say i think it's like somewhat of a courageous artistic stance to be like here's this guy that 80 percent of the united states would say did the wrong thing and a, an entire generation felt about him the same way that many people feel about trump now you know, and we're we're living through that. And here's Ron Howard being like, "Yeah, that stuff was bad, but like, take another look at the man." And he tries to, you know, make him into like a little bit more of a human instead of a boogeyman. And I think there's something very courageous about that, like from a Hollywood director. I don't know if you guys had that same reaction. Here's another history. Oh. Briefly, here's another History Boys tie-in, which is one of the points that movie explores is whether it's um, whether it's okay to try to understand the Nazis. Mm. That makes sense. Like to and separating out understanding from forgiveness or something like that. Um, and I think is that what you're getting at, Sam? Like maybe you don't absolve Nixon, but this movie tries to force you to understand him instead of dismiss him. I just think it forces you to take a deeper psychological dive into what his motivations might have been and who he was as a person. And I think as a result of that, I certainly feel more sympathetic towards him by the end of this movie. There's a camp, and maybe this sentiment isn't very strong now, that would say, like, to understand Nixon is to make him understandable. Like, to... to, to um admit that there's any 
rational point of view that what he did was correct or okay. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I think I'm mostly agreeing with you. Maybe I'm yeah. not being very clear. How do you feel, Neil? I mean, I think I kind of, I'm on the same page, like, Nixon was never, like, a president that I was particularly interested in as a history nerd. Um, so getting, like, a slightly more nuanced look at him than future on that um, right. is, was, yeah, I, you know, like, again, like, I'm, any movie is going to have, like, a certain amount of, uh, like you should take it with a grain of salt, but it raised some questions. Um, but that actually kind of draws to my next thought, which is that, um, like I mentioned earlier, that Kevin Bacon is probably like the biggest like name brand star in the movie. But like I think that even though he's a secondary character, his and uh, Rebecca Hall's characters are well. Let me back that. I think his, I think Kevin Bacon's character might be one of the most important in the movie, insofar as like giving us a character who actively likes and supports Nixon. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think they tried to kind of do that with Rebecca Hall, because, but I think they fail on some level. Um, where, like. I feel like the way the movie portrays David Frost for most of the movie is like very shallow, I guess. Like, like not not him as a person, but just the portrayal. Like, in, in a lot of ways, he should be just as interesting as Nixon. But I wasn't tied up in him. I feel like uh, Rebecca Hall's character, who, who is based on a real person, uh, is meant to like give us a view of him when he's like not in front of the cameras, when he's like alone with himself, basically. Mm. But I didn't find that portrayal particularly interesting. I would agree with you that I think that Frost is the least. I don't think it's a bad performance. I just think that like there's not a whole lot to that character. Like the the motivation of like I want to get back on TV is not as strong as like i am the most disgraced president of the last you know <laughs> 70 years and i'm trying to redeem myself um Gideon, i feel like i haven't heard from you in a little bit yeah um well with some of the stuff you're talking about the more like humanizing elements of nixon um i guess i definitely felt that and i i could almost uh kind of feel for him or uh, just being in like such an uncomfortable and public fall from grace, you know, that is like so severe as his was. Um, but I also, especially with lots of his little like nuanced things he would do, I was like, he's such a fucker. He's such an annoying mm -hmm. shit. Like, I was like, I can see why so people, like, I don't really have any you know preference or whatever towards him but i could see why so many people were so up in arms about his whole situation right. when he's doing stuff like that or um was it rebecca hall is that is that the girlfriend of frost yeah. or whatever yeah. yep. even, even the way he would interact with her i felt was kind of almost gave me like the creeps a little bit and just like 
the just the way he would try and get under people's skin um right. i just thought it was interesting um but but yeah even like um how he talks uh near the end uh, how they almost had this like a duel they would say you know of wits or whatever of just like charisma and talking um you you can you can see him really trying you know like like he says he's going to give it his all, his all and everything and do everything he can so i don't know um it was just it was just really interesting seeing how all of that played out and the performance of that and i i know we'll come back to the end and everything but i really really liked how it ended um with yeah. frost and everything giving him the shoes i thought that was great mm-hmm. I, you know, there's there's a scene there at the end that I think is so great too. Um, right after the the shoes bit, where uh, he's like, "Can I talk to you for a second in private?" And he's like, "Those parties that you have, you enjoy those?" And he's like, "Yeah, why wouldn't I?" And Nixon's like, blown away by the idea that somebody would enjoy being around people, like, you know what I mean? Like, that's just such an interesting. I didn't know that about Nixon, but apparently, apparently, reading about him, he was very that way. Like, he's such a unusual politician, and that, that he is not a naturally charismatic, naturally wants to be around people kind of um, person. And he says that at the end, he's like, you know, maybe you should have been the politician, and maybe I should have been like the rigorous interviewer. Um, and there, there's so many like funny little things he says in this movie that just make me love that portrayal and make me really like the character where he's um nixon is talking to frost about rebecca hall's character and and frost is like yeah hot she's hot isn't she and and he's like well you know that's not the number one reason you should marry her she's from monaco they don't pay any taxes there i'm like that's something my grandpa would have said you know like that that is such a me mentioning a girl to my dad or my grandpa and their first question being like does she come from money like, I don't know, it's just it's something about his character was just so um, I I hate to describe Richard Nixon as being endearing, but sort of almost endearing in a weird way where you're just like you, f- you feel like he was like a, a victim of I don't want to say a victim of circumstance, but like maybe just a man that made some wrong decisions along along the path somewhere. Certainly okay for you to feel that way about Nixon as long as it's the character of Nixon as portrayed in this movie. Right. Yeah, I mean I mean the the thing that they don't go into is that like Nixon bombed his way out of Cambodia and bombed the ever living shit out of North Vietnam and, and a little bit on Vietnam. In fact he thinks he that's one of the ones where he really thinks he's got him in that first interview. Uh, do we have? I I feel like our energy on this movie is pretty low, so I don't want to like stretch out um, the podcast any longer than is necessary. Does anybody have anything that they want to go into um, that, that they have a burning desire to talk about, or can we just talk about favorite scenes and then sort of wrap things up? Uh, one one thought that I have. yeah, the director Ron Howard. Um, mm-hmm. One I think one of the movies I had back in like our first episode when we talked about our favorites. I think I mentioned Apollo 13, uh, yep. another one of his. And uh, I know uh, just, you know, from having the familial connection, he uh, likes to put his brother Clint into at least bit roles. Um, but watching this movie, I saw so many people who are like 
uh, you know, sort of, what's the term, featured cameos from, yeah. uh, you know, like uh, NASA, NASA scientists one, two, and three. <laughs> right. And, from uh, Paul 13, and then here they're like, NBC director, CBS director. <laughs> but I, I, I don't know. I like it's, it's something I like with directors when they have that stable of people they use. I do love that. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, I if if anybody else uh, doesn't have anything uh, super intelligent to say about the movie, I could start with um, giving my ranking. But I give you guys the opportunity to speak now, forever hold your peace. Yeah, I got um, a favorite scene. Uh, mm-hmm. or, you go ahead, Gideon. Um, yeah, I, I also was gonna throw out a couple favorite scenes. Um I really liked Nixon's like drunken, almost like prank call to Frost. I just thought that was funny. Um and kinda like what we had talked about with near the end where he pulls him aside. It's almost like he's having like a heart to heart. And then, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know how accurate this stuff is historically, so I don't know if he really did that or not. I'm assuming he probably did. But uh, I, re- I really like that. Um, I thought it was like the Fortnite dance on his grave when he gave him the gift of the shoes that he basically said made him look gay in, in them. <laughs> and he's like, I, you know, nuclear bombed you in that interview. And here's those shoes that you try to make fun of me about. <laughs> <laughs> so I really liked that. And then when he even asked him about the, the call, I loved that. He was like, did we talk about anything important? He was like, cheeseburgers. I was like, cheeseburgers are important. <laughs> like, so I just thought that was fun. Yeah, yeah. dude, the the phone monologue that Nixon gives, we're going to make him choke on it. That's awesome. <laughs> that was really, oh, really good. <laughs> First, the bubble... Uh, both sides cop to that phone call not having happened. Yeah, that 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 didn't happen. They do okay. say that during the Watergate days, Nixon was known to make late night phone calls, and that that inspired the scene. Oh, okay. Get sauced up and call people. But nice. It's supposed to be like. Happen, yeah. <laughs> uh, I agree. I like that scene. One of my favorite, very short snippets um, from the film is when Frost is on the phone with, um, oh, I forget the character's name, but we've mentioned the actor, the military guy. Kevin Bacon. Uh, Kevin Bacon. And Kevin Bacon, Bacon's character said, like, look, 60% of the stuff he did was right and good, and 30% may, might not have been good, but he thought it was the right thing. And then Frost says, well, that still leaves 10% that was wrong, and he knew it was wrong. Um, and, and I think the delivery in that scene and the tension is very real. Um, and I just think that's missing from Frost's character throughout the rest of the film. Uh, and I, I don't know, that that's both like one of my favorite moments and also like uh, crystallizes kind of my criticism. But I just don't believe it coming from the character. Mm. But it's a great line in that scene. Yeah, you guys are radicalizing me against frost in this movie a little bit i like every time you guys criticize that character i'm like in the back of my mind i'm kind of like yeah i think you're right like i don't think that character is all is all that um again not a not a problem with the portrayal really it's just like i just think the character is sort of underwritten i think i think you guys are right about that 
I don't know. Should they have given him like, I mean, I think if I were to write this movie as a, a dummy who just took a few English classes in high school, I would like make him in it for the money at the beginning. And then his character arc shifts and he's like more and more anti-Nixon or, you know what I mean? Or he comes mm-hmm. to believe in the actual cause, but we don't really see that. He's kind of always in it, like foot at half, his foot half in, you know, or whatever. Well, I think his primary motivation being personal and money related allows Nixon's arc to be to go from being a villain to being more of a sympathetic character ultimately because if if Frost's character arc was more as if you described it Nixon would almost have to become more villainous as the movie went on. So maybe right? it's just really hard to write because the story is very gray and, and we want to focus on Nixon in the end. Right. I, I, you're right in that. I think that Nixon is definitely like the focus and every, everybody else in the movie is just, you know, propping Frank Langella up on a, on a pedestal so he can just ball out of control with how good of an actor he is. I mean, he's just like, I don't know if he got the Academy award, but he, I, I don't, I don't know who could have possibly beaten him. Um, I'll I'll do a little bit of research on that. Uh, Neil, do you have any favorite scenes? Uh, uh, I, I guess one one that stands out to me is like what kind of should have been like that transformation scene for Frost, where he's finally like in it to, if not like take down Nixon politically, but at least like I'm. I'm gonna like rise to the occasion and give us like a good interview, but it's it's where he like essentially makes a like a connection about some dates, of, so Nixon would have known something before he said that he knew it. Mm-hmm. I, I I I'm a sucker for uh, montages of like flipping through paperwork, circling. Mm. On, oh on, yeah. You know, I think Ron yeah. Howard is very good at those kinds of scenes. I I was almost certain your favorite scene was going to be the like the the cast of researchers sitting around and doing their Nixon impressions with each other. Yeah, that was pretty good. And go, going into this, I was like, I was actually very disappointed that the I didn't want to answer any questions. Uh, wasn't part of the actual interview and instead was relegated to like the dental association meeting, whatever it was. Oh, right. Yeah. Oh, I mean, that's another really funny moment. I mean, I already talked about my favorite scenes earlier, but another really funny moment is when um, Kevin Bacon and Nixon are talking behind the scenes after that, like, dental association thing, and Nixon fakes like he's going to, like, call the spies of the CIA or whatever and, like, send them to go bug this this thing, and Kevin Bacon's like, oh, my God, here we go again, and he's like, "I'm dude, I'm just kidding. Like, that really that really made me laugh. And, like, the the fear in Kevin Bacon's eyes though that like he he knows that he's still working for this like fucking ruthless animal is just I don't know I, I there's just so much I love about this movie. Um, what what a quick standout performance was uh, Toby Jones as Swifty Lazar, uh, Nixon's <laughs> like literary agent. Like he's in the movie for like five minutes, but like uh like when they're like negotiating, he's like uh, they offered us three hundred thousand dollars. I think you can get four. And then cut to him like in the future. I got him six. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <Baller. laughs> yeah. What and and the costume design on that character was great. I mean, he looked like a Looney Tunes character. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. 
so in terms of star rating, obviously, like this is one of my favorite movies. I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and give it a five. Um, although I do think now that you guys are now that I've talked with you guys, I do think there are like maybe some legitimate criticisms and 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 that the I almost said milk like Harvey Milk. No, David Frost is not as strong of a character as maybe I I once thought. Um, that said, I promise I'm not going to give all my favorite movies five stars this year just to like pat out, um, you know, pat, pat out my movie selections toward the end of for the end of the year list. So I'm gonna I'm gonna try to avoid doing that, but I can't avoid doing that for this. This is a five star movie all the way. Um, for don't, don't everybody go at once. <laughs> for me, um, I fluctuated between a three and four star for this. But I think I will give it a four. Um, I just thought it could have been so much worse. It could have had so much more fluff or filler. Um, even Frost, I actually did like Frost quite a bit and found myself like rooting for him pretty early on, almost in like an underdog kind of vibe. Um, and if you're into like political drama and stuff, um, and or you know just slice of certain cultural events and stuff like that. I I felt this was a, a movie that does that kind of thing really good. Mm. Um, and yeah, so I just really thought it was well-crafted and it was a fun piece of history to check out. Yeah, awesome. Neil, what about you, buddy? Yeah, I'm going to give this one a solid four. Um, yeah, I, I mentioned some of my issues with it, and, but uh, you know, in the end, those are all relatively mine. It's not a perfect movie, but it's. I think it's still super strong, and I enjoyed the heck out of it. Okay, last but not least, Alex Princeton. I guess I'll be the contrarian here and give it, you know, a strong to medium three. Uh, just, just didn't land for me uh, as much. Uh, interesting slice of history. Uh, I, I don't think the writing was as tight, and I also see it like as, uh, uh, you know. Maybe like a bit of Nixon propaganda. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think tell, it's, uh, tell me tell me more about that about the, it being Nixon propaganda. Look, Alex had just been brainwashed by the liberal media. <laughs> yeah, maybe I'm just like a token lib, but I, I I mean we don't really actually see Nixon held to account for anything of of substance um, and. Uh, more airtime is given to like exploring Nixon, the man. Uh, yeah, I like. Look, I, I'm not gonna. I'm not here to rule on Richard Nixon one way or another. I just like, you know, we don't need to make him fuzzy. He was the leader of the free world. He did things like with real consequence. Yeah, I, su I suppose you're right. I mean, I'm. I I feel very like I, I I guess I'm not trying to defend myself, but on the other hand, I am. Um, I feel very split on it. Um, on one hand, I agree. You know, I obviously I can agree with you and say like, yeah. I mean, he was an adult who made all of his own decisions and certainly um, kind of made his own bed. And even if he has personality quirks that um, played into that, it doesn't forgive. You know, ultimately wrongdoing when the buck stops with you and you're the one responsible. And, um, you know, I think 
he would be the first to admit that he was fully responsible and they were his mistakes to make. And I mean, that that's kind of the speech and, he gives at the end fact, of the day. And on the record, he was one of the last people to admit that. And some argue yeah. he did not admit that in the Frost interviews and, and didn't really cop to it until later. Mm-hmm. But um, even, even without uh, forgiving or ignoring any of that, I do think that it, 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 Lend the movie lended to, or or at least it attempted to make him more three dimensional in retrospect to maybe people who have only ever seen that one side and people who have only ever, um, got gotten the the um, spark notes of what went down in Watergate and what went down in in Vietnam and all that. And I appreciate as a viewer having more context to like. Like I like I said, the psychological profile and, and seeing like what was kind of going on behind the scenes for him personally throughout all that. Um, you know, I'm not saying that it, I forgive him in any way, um, but it, it certainly like 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 I said, I stand by what I said before that I think the movie is somewhat courageous in its depiction because like it would have been way easier for Ron Howard to just make a movie that almost like the one you're describing where Frost is much. Um, more adversarial and means I, I don't say mean spirited but more um like getting more and more anti-nixon and then just tries to like bury him and i i think it's almost braver and more courageous for them to have a friendly like almost a friendly congenial but adversarial relationship in some way i, I think that's very like i don't know there's something about that that i really like yeah let me um just two, two, two last thoughts, uh, and I, I totally buy that. Um, I suspect the reality of these interviews, you know, without having watched them, is probably like more, more like scripted than any of us give credit. Like, I, I, I don't know. You know, they played off like they paid the guy like half a million dollars and residuals. So I'm guessing he had big. Uh, some significant say in like what would be asked. And my guess is like the reality is a lot more planning and, oh, there has to be a moment where we get you. So how do you want us to frame it? And how can we let you, I, I don't know. I, I just don't buy, I, I just don't buy some of it. And and then beyond it, I, it just didn't land for me as like a perfect movie. I, it's more mm. like a seven out of 10 for me. So okay. close to get as a three out of five. Yeah, that's that's fair enough. I mean, I'd rather have like like I've said before, I'd rather have that than a movie that we all give five out of five and you know bukkake all over it, right? So um, now, before anybody has time to Google what that means, let's go ahead and wrap things up. Um, so uh, whose whose turn is it to go for uh, next week? It's Neil, me, Gideon. If we're following that rotation, Neil, my friend, what are what are we watching next week, bud? I think I'm going to have you guys watch Streets of Fire. Streets of Fire. Okay. Give me a little preview of Streets of Fire while I look it up here. Is this a prequel to Reign of Fire? Uh, perhaps. Um, no. Uh, same director as The Warriors. Oh, um, so the dude, the poster on this movie looks sick. Yeah, it looks like a Proto Man album cover. Mm-hmm. Um, Young Willem Dafoe has the antagonist, uh, young Rick Moranis. Um, 
without spoiling too much, it's the most musical movie I've ever seen where the music does not progress the story. Mm. At least to my perception. So uh, it, it's got a lot of interesting artistic choices. Um, and I'll be interested to see how you guys react to them. Okay, well, I'll see you guys uh, back here. Oh, there's my cat. Um, I'll see you guys back here next week for Streets of Fire. Here, I'll get the cat on camera here real quick because he's so sneaking cute and he just came back from the vet. Everybody say hi to the cat. For audio Hello. listeners, is a, is a holding a gray cat with a heavy nose and uh, cute little ears. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's a very cute cat. Okay. Uh, well, I think that about wraps it up. Uh, see you later, guys. Later. Later.